0: Now, notice what it says, the most holy faith. Now, look, we're not talking about faith that we put in Christ, this, this faith that we exercise in our salvation. He's talking about the tenets of the faith, those things that God has given us to build our lives and our Christian lives on. You see, at this point right here, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about how do I continue to grow? Now I'm saved. How do I continue to grow? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, I, I, I thought about this this week, and I'm, I'm going to kind of stay close to my stuff here because I'm going to tell you, I could go 9,000 different directions. There is actual apostasy. There is. There, there, there are people who in their lives have embraced uh, Christianity mentally, emotionally, but not with their heart, not spiritually, and then they, they fall away. That's actual apostasy. Folks, these people have never been saved. Okay, there are people out there who claim the name of Christ, who come to church, who play the games, who, who talk the talk, who do everything right, but they have never been saved. And time will tell whether they are or not because most of the time, those people will drift. They'll they'll go back to something. In the the Old Testament days, in the New Testament days when Jesus was here, it was all about going back to the law or going back to the the sacrifices. And and so there there is actual apostasy. But I also believe there is spiritual apostasy that a believer can, can get caught up in. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that you can not be apostate but harbor within your heart the spirit of apostasy. What do you mean by that? I mean that you can be saved by the grace of God, but by your actions and your words and your thoughts that you are moving slowly away from Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, It's been been an experience for all of us. We, we, We kind of move away. We fall away from the truth of God. I'm not saying that we're lost. I'm saying this. You can be lost in your sin and not see Christ. You can be so involved in the sin, even as a believer, that you lose focus of Christ. Now, there's a very interesting passage found over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. Paul says to the church at Galatia, and people have, people have misinterpreted this passage of Scripture forever. Listen to what it says i'll kind of paraphrase if you are depending on the law and you and you embrace the law as your uh security in your salvation you are moving away from christ does that make sense Is christ or the law and Paul is just saying these people, these people can't get it in their minds. It's a, it's, it's a new faith. It's, it's something new to them. And they keep wanting to go back. They keep wanting to go back. Well, that, that had such great meaning. I was so emotional in that. If you want to embrace that as your security and your salvation, that's great. But when you do that, you move away from Christ. And here's something else that he says You have fallen from grace. Oh. So we lose our salvation? No. No. Here, here's, here's the literal translation. When you embrace the law for your security and your salvation, you are moving away from Christ, which, uh, which creates a situation where you move away from grace. You don't lose your salvation. The, the wording there, and if you study the wording there, it is you are moving away from grace. Those, God, through the work of Jesus Christ, By His grace and in His grace alone has called us to salvation. That's what we base our salvation on. That is the foundation of our salvation. And so if I've look at you, and I say to you, how do you know that you're saved? And you tell me you go to church, you tell me that you uh, sing in the choir, or you teach a Sunday school class, or you are very active in your church work, or you give to charities. You have not acknowledged that it's Christ and Christ alone that has saved you. You have moved away from the truth of the grace that God brings in salvation. Does that make sense? So, so, so that, that, that's it. You, you, you're not, it's not that you're not saved. It's just that, you know what? Your sin has so blinded you that you've lost focus of Christ. His injunction then is this. Build yourself up. Build yourself up. Build yourselves up. How? Founded on your most holy faith. Now, here's the question. Okay, here's the question. If we are growing in sanctification, if we are growing in our faith, there will be progress. It may be this much, but it's, it's forward, it's forward. Listen, there is no static position in the Christian life. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. There's no neutrality in this Christian life. And so Paul and, and so Jude is saying this, listen, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Now now listen, this is great, this is good stuff here, okay? So I want to ask you three questions. You say build yourselves up in your most holy faith. You're saying, how, how, what is all of this that keeps this water flowing? So, so the first question would be then, so what is the structure? The structure is you, okay, building yourselves up. You are the structure that he's talking about here. You are the one that needs to be built up. You are the one that needs to be making this progress. You're the one that must be built up to prevent apostasy and to keep the uh, the rivers of living water flowing. You're the building. It was Peter that said, we are living stones making up this building. Living stones making up this body of Christ. Now, let's just, let's get this out of our heads right now, okay? And don't, don't, just put this out of your mind, erase it, don't ever think about it again. This building is not the house of God. You are. And when we come together like this, we form a building. This is where we meet. This is a tool. But the fact of the matter is, you are the building. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, building yourselves up. The structure is you. You're the house. You are the living stones making up the body of Christ. That's the structure. That's who he's talking about. So, so, so what do we need to build up? Ourselves. Okay. Number two, well, who is the builder? Building up yourselves. Now, that's not just identifying who is being built up. It's identifying who is doing the building. Hang with me. This will make some sense later, okay? You must build yourself up. You have a responsibility before God to begin building your Christian life. How do you do that? On your most holy faith. Okay? What is the foundation then? Your most holy faith. Well, Gary, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about, the most holy faith are the tenets of our belief, our non-negotiables. Jesus is God. That that is a non-negotiable, ladies and gentlemen, because if He's not, we're in a heap of trouble. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified. Not just killed, but crucified with all of my sin on Him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I learned something a long time ago. Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for my sin. Now, you have to study the Old Testament uh, ritual of the high priest going, placing his hands on that scapegoat, confessing his sin over that animal, and then cutting its throat. Okay? So, So in a way, in a sense, on the cross, Jesus Christ took the weight of my sin and your sin. And he was buried. But ladies and gentlemen, when he came out... He wasn't bearing the load of my sin anymore. So where is your sin today? It's in the tomb. That's why the Bible said, listen, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where are my sins? In the tomb. Jesus came out. He carried them in there, but I'm going to tell you what, he didn't bring them out. And some of you, when you stand before God, and you come before God in confession and faith, and you say, Lord, I I give you this, then don't pick it up and take it back home with you. Jesus just takes that, he puts it in the tomb of the rest of it. Y'all good? Okay. The foundation is your most holy faith. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 says, listen, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up. So what is it that builds us up? God, the Word of His grace. Philippians 2.12 says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we work for our salvation. What it means is we put our faith into practice, and as we are practicing our faith, we grow stronger and stronger and stronger. Those of you who have lifted weights, you know, you don't go in there and pick up 400 pounds and bench press 400 pounds the first time you ever go in there. It is progress. You're working out. You're getting stronger. So your most most holy faith, if you're building on that, if you are practicing those things, a Bible study, and those disciplines of the Christian life, then you're going to grow. You're going to get stronger. Some of the things that used to tempt me that quickly don't tempt me anymore. Building yourself up on your most holy faith. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is, what is it that builds us up? It's the Word of Grace. So let me just give you some points. Here's what you do. Number one, you read it. You read it. Whitney said last night, you don't, you're not going to know the will of God unless you know the Word of God. Read it. Number two, we are to meditate upon it. Um, Psalm 1. Verse 2, and in his law does he meditate how, day and night. You ever read a passage of Scripture and just couldn't get away from it? Can I just tell you all something? Something really good is happening around here because the last two weeks, people still talking about the sermons they heard on Sunday morning. Meditating on what I've just heard. Hearing it, reading it, meditating on it, and then memorizing it. Memorizing it. Hiding God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against God. Okay? So we read it, we we meditate on it, we memorize it. Do, do you know a verse that you can just pull out off the top of your head when you're in the midst of temptation and trials? And that you, you can pull that verse up really quick. You need some of those. You really do. And then study it. Study it. 2 Tim, uh, Timothy chapter 5, chapter 2, and verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Understanding the word of God to show yourself approved to God. Okay? I read this this week. There are, well, with, without reading the words and the stuff in the back, I don't know if that's Scripture, but if it is, you better be reading it too. So so, so here I've got um, 1,497 pages, 1,497 pages. Now, now, now you're, you're listening to a guy who never read one book all the way through in high school. Never. 1,475 pages to me when I was young would have been a lifetime. I would have said to myself, if I started reading it right now, I'd never finish reading the Bible. You know how long it takes you to read 1,475 pages through just reading at a regular rate? 72 hours. Do you know that the average person watches television five hours a day? Did you know that if you turned your TV off and read God's Word, you could read it in two weeks? Yeah, shame on me. Now, because I'm not such a great reader, it might take three weeks. But the disciplines of the Christian life, I, I, I read this this week, and it just man, it just put me so much shame. There was a man who had become a Christian, and he had a freak accident. He lost his sight. He lost many of his limbs. This, this is true, I'm telling you, this is a true story. He couldn't see anymore. He couldn't read God's word anymore. He just, his only, he'd just gotten saved, and he got so excited about reading God's Word. He got into God's Word, just like so many new believers do. And, and, and it was exciting. He was learning new things. And all of a sudden, he had this accident. He couldn't read it anymore. Couldn't see it. Couldn't read it. Lost some of his limbs. And he heard about a woman who had um, the same kind of issues that was blind, and he began to realize that there was a way that he could read the Bible. Uh, and it was through Braille. And so he ordered his Bible uh, uh, with Braille, and, and of course, he, you know, he had heard about it, and people were telling about it, you know, got these bumps, and you just run your finger across those bumps, and you learn what those are, and you can read. He was so excited, so he got his first Braille Bible. And when he got it, he was so disappointed because he couldn't feel the bumps. The nerves in his digits that he did have left had, had no feeling whatsoever. And so, he began to feel so discouraged because he couldn't read God's Word. And so, he took that Bible and he put it up to his lips and he couldn't feel anything. But one day, he was so hungry for God's Word, one day he he took that Bible and he put it up to his mouth like that, and his tongue touched one of those bumps. He realized that there was a way that he could read God's Word. He felt those little dots. At the moment that, from the moment that I read that article until today, this man with his tongue has read through the Bible four times four times. It was said of Jeremiah Whitaker that he usually read all the epistles in Greek in the New Testament twice every night. Robert Cotton was an old theologian. He read the Bible through 12 times a year. Archbishop Cranmer is said to have been able to repeat the whole New Testament from memory. Ridley who was burned at the stake, said, The walls and trees of my orchard, could they speak, would bear witness that I have learned by heart almost all of Paul's epistles. Read it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Study it. That's number one. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Listen, what is my tool for building myself up? God's Word is. God's Word is. Here's another one. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me very carefully. I don't know where it went last night. I jotted jotted this thing down. Here's the thing about it. James tells us that the, the, the prayer of faith, he talks about the prayer of faith. Now, really, let me ask you a question. Are your prayers prayers of faith, or are they prayers of hope? Because there's a lot of times when I pray, I hope what I'm praying for will happen. Praying in faith and praying in hope are way apart. Our prayers must be prayers of faith when we pray in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this very carefully. God can't, won't, will not answer prayers that are in the flesh. Y'all with me? Selfish prayers. So how do we pray? We pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? That means taking the promises of God and claiming them. Read your Bible We've already gotten through that part. Read it. Pull the promises out. Pray the will of God. Pray the promises of God, knowing that what you are praying is His will. If anybody shall ask anything according to my will, he'll have it. Okay? Now, look, I know we cop out a lot of times. We say, well, you know, if it's God's will... You remember, you remember David? I don't know why things just come to me when I'm standing here. It's just The whole Bible just goes through my mind, you know, when I'm standing here. Think about David. David's little boy died. And before the baby died, David prayed all night. Man, he prayed. He begged God for all kinds of things. And he just kept on and kept on and kept on. Listen, I think David... A lot of us would think David was praying against hope. The doctor comes in and says there's no hope. You go to the hospital. You get the news it's stage four cancer. You've been given a death sentence. And we pray, oh, I I hope. I hope that it's true. I, I hope that God can heal. David prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. When the little boy died, you remember what happened? He got up, he washed himself, he went and got him something to eat. And the were just dumbfounded. And so you got this opposite. He said, no, I don't. Well, well, why did you act like you did before he died, and now you're a different person afterwards? And here's what he said. While the child was sick, I didn't know, but that God might show mercy and allow him to live. But now that he's dead, David said, you know what? I I get it. He can't come back to me, but I can go to him. Now, look, you you look at a man. Here's a man who's, who's after God's own heart, who has a confidence knowing. That this loved one is gone, but because of his relationship to God, that he would see that baby again. That's a great message in there about life after death and going to heaven. So I'm just going to say to you this morning, do not quit praying about that. Don't give up. Pray, pray, pray. Some of us have prayed for resurrection. Some of us have prayed for healing. Some of us have prayed for for all kinds of things. Sometimes it's come through and sometimes it had not But I'm going to tell you what. We are here to say to you this morning that God is faithful. That God has never let us down in any of those situations. And on this side of it, we see what God was doing. Okay? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Taking the promises of God and claiming them, knowing that you are praying in His will. Number two, it is to pray and surrender to the Spirit of God. When you pray, you don't have a wrestling match with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God says something to you, I don't want that. I don't want that. Well, you know what? That prayer's not going to be answered. Praying and surrendering to the Spirit of God. Here's the third thing walking in the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So praying in the Holy Spirit is taking God's promises, knowing what God's will is, as revealed in the Scripture. Praying that, and I promise you, if you're praying that, then God will answer that prayer. If it's His will. If it's not His will, there's no chance that prayer will ever be answered. Okay? So knowing the, knowing the Word, praying in God's will, knowing that you're praying in His will, that that prayer is going to be answered. But it is surrendering to the Spirit of God. Not my will. Jesus did that, didn't he? On the cross, didn't he go, not my will, but your will. And I'm going to tell you what, his father's will was done. And you and I are sitting here this morning forgiven salvation because it was the father's will that Christ die for you so that he can provide for you eternal life. Look at the last last part of verse 21, which leads to eternal life. That's what this is all about. So we build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Can I just say something to y'all? And if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. We, we took these up this week. And um, I'm, I don't, there's not any names on them. But there are some of them that are kind of real. And some of them are, pray that I find Jesus. Pray that I find Jesus. We not only are to pray for our needs, but we are to pray in supplication, which means that we are to pray for others. There are some there are some prayer requests in here that God wants to answer. God wants to answer them because it's His will to answer them. So you know what? God, answer these prayers. Bring people to salvation. Change hearts and lives. You bring it to the altar, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to tell you what. The altar is a place that reminds us what God has done before. And it is also a reminder that God can do it again. And not only that, I'm going to ask some of you when this is over, we'll come get you a card, just take it home with you, pray over it. Because we know that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Look at this one. Keep in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It is a personal responsibility of ours And our walk with God to keep ourselves in that atmosphere of His love. It's personal. The responsibility of your walk with God is you. I'm going to tell you, I thought for so long. Until God just told me two weeks ago, didn't know why, to drive 400 miles to give somebody a drink of this water. I've always believed man, if you really want to, God will just bring it to you. God will just bring it to you. And he does do that. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't sit here this morning and, um, and and just sit back here and bask in, God, you just pour your love out on me. Because you know what? He will. And then you're going to leave here in a few minutes. And you're going to get sideways with your wife or your kids. Keep Keep yourselves. In the love of God. There's a personal responsibility to keep yourselves in the love of God. It, it is a personal responsibility. It's not only a personal responsibility. It is a relational responsibility. What he's talking about is keeping yourselves in the love of God. He's talking about fellowship. Walking with God. That's fellowship. Koinonia. The fellowship that, that we, we have with one another. The fellowship has two sides of a coin. There's fellowship with God, and there is fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the side of the coin, too, in this matter of fellowship. 1 John 1, 6 through 9, what does it say? If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. When you're walking in the love of God, then you're having fellowship with those who are walking in the love of God. And here's the good part about it. It says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, present tense, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. It's personal. It is relational. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just say to you, if you're walking in the love of God and you're not with people that God loves You are not in fellowship with God. I love God, but I don't like people. You're not in fellowship with God because God loves people. God loves all people. God loves big people. He loves little people. He loves white people. He loves black people. He loves smart people. He loves dumb people like me. Now, is that for you or me? Love the friendships that I have. (laughs) Do you love the thrill that you feel when you get together with God's wonderful people? Just something magical happens, doesn't it? Something magical happens when we're sitting here, man. We've celebrated and singing, we're celebrating. We're really fellow listen, what we're doing is we're having a spiritual meal in the Word together. This is spiritual food. We're, we're, we're having a banquet. Now, I'm sure some of you probably think it's McDonald's and french fries, but you know what? Tony gave you steak and potatoes last week, and that's hard to digest sometimes. So, Keeping yourselves in the love of God. What, what about that? Walking with Jesus. Has walking with Jesus been the greatest thrill you've ever known? So there is this this matter of keeping ourselves in the love of God. So how do, I keep the, how do I keep it flowing? I build myself up on the most holy faith. I pray in the Holy Spirit, and I maintain my walk with Jesus Christ so that I am in the atmosphere of His love for me all the time. We ought to always be overwhelmed by the thought that God loves you. I told the kids this morning, I said something on Wednesday night, and Tony said it took him about 45 minutes when he got home. But the fact of the matter is, God loves everybody, right? But have you ever thought He likes you too? God really does like you. God doesn't hate you. And His omniscience tells us that. And and you kind of got to process this, because omniscience means God knows everything. So you know what? God knows you, and He likes you anyway. Keeping yourself... And the love of God. Now, here's, here's another part. Here's the last part real quickly. Looking for. Looking for. Look at it with me. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God while you are waiting and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to eternal life. Looking earnestly, expecting the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Our our prayer every day ought to be, if not today, maybe tomorrow. I've done so many funerals lately. And I've just had to pull Philippians chapter 1 out so many times. Because it just says something to me, it resonates something with me, and that is this. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let me give you a good translation of that. For me to live is Christ, and to die is more Christ. And Paul said, listen, I am torn between two. Paul knew that he was the apostle to the Gentiles, that God had called him, and there was still work for him to do. But here was Paul's heart desire, because Paul was doing the things that we're talking about. Paul wasn't reading Scripture. Paul was writing it, okay? But he was reading it too, and he was able to write it because of the truth that he learned in the Word of God. But, But here's what he said. There are two good things here, two really good things here. And I, 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 I have a desire to choose one over the other, but I just don't know. My desire is to, part, to depart and be with Christ. Now listen to this. Which is far better. You're sitting here today, and you're loving your life. You're loving your kids. You're loving your grandkids. As great as your life is, Paul says being with Christ is far better, keeping yourself, looking earnestly, looking earnestly for the return of Christ. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 puts it this way, knowing that the time now is near, it is high time, church, to awake out of your sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than it's ever been before. You know what he's saying to you this morning, number one? Those of you who know Jesus, if you're ever going to do anything for the Lord, do it now. Love his appearing. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you better do something about it now. Because our salvation is nearer. Than it's ever been before. The church father Chrysostom Was arrested by the emperor. He he was tried and he was tortured. They attempted to make him recant. He would not. Just shook his head. Mm -mm. So the emperor said to the guards. Throw him into prison. What, would this be your testimony? I mean, really, I looked at that and went, holy cow. Would they say the same things about me? Throw him into prison. One of the guards said, no, he'll be glad to go to prison. For he delights in the presence of his God in quiet. Well, execute him then. He'll be glad to die. For he once said that he wants to go to heaven. I heard him say it the other day. There is only one thing that you can do to this man to give him pain. And that is cause him to sin. He's afraid of nothing but sin. And if you can make him sin, he will be a most unhappy man. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you've been saved, (laughs) your sin ought to make you miserable. If you are reveling in your sin and you are enjoying that sin and you're a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you something. Just like he says, you're a spiritual apostate. Oh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to die and you're going to go to heaven. That's great. But I think you've seen this morning that being saved is more than just sitting down and constantly soaking it, soaking it, soaking it. Can I just say to you all, I've been doing this for a long time. And most people I know who sit week after week and after week after week and soak, eventually they become sour. Y'all ever made any sauerkraut? What do you do? You just let it sit and soak. And eventually it'll get sour. You want to know where you are in your Christian life? How, you know, are you sour? I love it. Put it on the brats and... I hope the devil didn't just cause us to lose a moment there. Because he, he, he's good at doing that. But you know what? So they're, they're, I think there's some of you here this morning that just need to take a breath. Because you've been strangling this whole time. Because you know. You know Jews talking about you. You know that's you. You know that's your desire. Here's what the Bible said you need to do. Now the question now is, what will you do?